Thank you, Tito. Hey, one more thing that we wanted to talk. Hey, by the way, good morning. Great to see everyone this morning. Um, we have our own summer night event coming up on Friday, August the 26th. Do we have a graphic for that? No? Oh, okay. Um, so on uh, Friday, August the 26th, right here at the campus, we have an, another summer night event. So uh, back in the day, we used to do two or three every summer at the Turlock campus, but since we have our own campus, uh, we did one last year. Before this was even complete and we were able to have services in here, we had a summer night event out in the parking lot. It was a huge success. Uh, we had funnel cakes and people were coming from miles away because somebody shared that there's funnel cakes at our address, and so they didn't care. They are like, I don't care what organization this is. Where's the funnel cakes? And so that's why they came. But anyway, uh, I don't think we have funnel cakes this year, but uh, we do have a lot of great things. We have a lot of games that we're going to be playing. I think we have a mechanical bull, if any of you feels like that you can stay on that thing for a long time. Uh, it's a great chiropractor. I hear mechanical bulls are. And uh, we have lots and lots of food. So make sure you put that on your calendar, okay, and invite your friends. This is for not just our church family, but for the community. It's open to any one. And so it's going to be on Friday, August the 26th, right here in the parking lot. We'll have a graphic and more information to come about that. But I just wanted to share that with you. Also, we have communion at the end of service. So at the end of the message today, we're going to be taking communion uh, together as a faith family. We do that the first Sunday of every month. And so this being our first Sunday, we'll be doing that at the end of service. And also, I'm not giving away or going to throw this at anybody that doesn't it's for a sermon illustration, so I'm going to use that later, okay? But yeah, like Pastor Tito said, uh, if, you're, if this is your first time here, we have a gift for you. It's one of these mugs out, out in the lobby. Would love uh, to be able to connect with you, okay? We're going to be in the book of 2 Kings. If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to the book of 2 Kings. It's found in the Old Testament right after 1 Kings. That's why it's called 2 Kings. Uh, so that's going to be, uh, it's on page 362. Actually, I have no idea what page it's on. Uh, that's an old joke that never goes well. Uh, but we're going to keep on trying it anyway. Second Kings chapter 4 is where we are going to be today. Uh, we're coming out the end of our summer series, Miracles. Have you enjoyed this series that we've been in about miracles this summer? Our teaching team, they've had a lot of fun putting messages together as we have learned about the miracles in the Bible and how they are relevant to us today, how we can apply those miracles to our lives today. Those little lessons, those little moments of God's ability to intervene in the lives of humanity in the ways that still makes him the hero, but allows him to work through us and in us. We've all encountered those moments when we need a miracle from Jesus, haven't we? Most of us have said those words, God, if you don't, or God, I need you too, or God, I don't know if you can hear me, but we've had those moments in our life. You can kind of fill in your own blank. I shared last week about some of the times throughout uh, our marriage, Jan and I have been married almost 29 years, and I've shared about throughout our marriage how God has come through and stretched our fi finances further than we ever could have done ourselves. I've prayed over my children at night and watched as their fevers have broke. I've sat in the dark in the middle of the night praying through tears for God's next right step for my family while the, next, while the rest of my family slept in, safe, in safety and peace. And then hearing opportunity on the other side of the phone the next day. 
We've all had those hand-wringing moments, those I-don't-know-what-to-do moments, those God-I-need-your-help-now moments. And some of us have even been in circumstances that bring us to the brink or the point of actually giving up. So how do we handle those times? Especially when we look and we feel like we are completely out of options. Where can we turn? Who can help us? Well, as God's followers, we know that he is the one who can help us because he is the one who is ultimately still in control. But what is his response to some of the things that we're going through? So today I want to be looking at 2 Kings chapter 4. We're going to look at three impossible situations found in this one chapter in the life of Elisha. And we're going to figure out, we're going to see what God has done in the past and how he can still help us present day and in the future. Okay, so we're going to begin reading uh, 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. And I'm not going to read all seven verses uh, in a row. I'm going to break it up a little bit as we go throughout the message, okay? One day, the widow of a member of the group of prophets, it's really important, the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, my husband who served you is dead. And you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come, threatening to take my two sons as slaves. Now this is the definition of tough times. This woman's a widow. She's left with a huge debt that she can't pay. The creditor wants his money now. And I know none of us in this room have ever had those phone calls, right? And now the creditor is threatening to force this woman who just lost her husband to give her sons up as slaves to pay her debt. So she comes to the man of God for help. And Elisha responds with compassion. He says this, what can I do to help you? And then he asks, and then he says, tell me, what do you have in the house? What does she have in her house? I mean, this question had to be pretty confusing to her. Does he want me to have a garage sale? Does he want me to sell anything I can for just quick cash to pay off this debt? And then her answer to him confirmed her desperate situation. And she says this, nothing at all. I have nothing except a flask of olive oil. That's what she said. Have you ever seen uh, an ancient press, uh, especially used back in biblical times for extracting the oil from olives. So the oil from olives comes from grinding and pressing the olives three times. The first is used for the temple. Notice that they use the best that they have for the Lord. The second crushing is for cooking. And the third crushing they used for lamp fuel. And just like olives are crushed, this woman is being crushed. She had nothing except a tiny bit of olive oil. Maybe she had already had a garage sale. Maybe she had already sold everything that she could. And all she had left was this flask of oil. Either way, we know that her lack, that her desperation is completely undeniable. So I love how she thought that she already knew the end of her story. And now she needed God to turn things around. Because I believe that Elisha knew that God had the ability to completely write, rewrite the end of the story, a different ending. Because look what happened next. And Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends 
and your neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Now, she probably had some empty jars, but Elisha told her to go get more. I mean, there, there were plenty of empty jars, but what good is an empty jar when you're running out? But this was actually a preparation for the miracle that was about to happen. You see, oftentimes God has us begin acting on faith before we see his provision. Just like we mentioned last week, that the disciples began handing out the bread and the fish. That's when the miracle of multiplication began to take place. Look what he says. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. So she did as she was told. You see, miracles in our lives, I want you to get this, miracles in our lives tend to follow our obedience. And I hesitate to say that because I want to be careful not to give the impression that if we do certain stuff, that God will automatically do what we want him to do. And that's simply not the case. If that were true, that means that we would control God. But actually, we allow God to control us. But in this case, she obeyed. And then she saw the miracle. But what do you think would have happened if she would have told this man of God, if she would have told this great prophet, Elisha, no? What would have happened? What, what would have happened if she said, you know, I know you're the man of God. I know you're the prophet, prophet of our times, but I just don't believe you. I'm not going to do that. That sounds ridiculous. That sounds silly. And I'm just not going to do that. But she didn't do any of those things. She went straight home and did what she was told. She obeyed. And she knew that she wasn't obeying just Elisha. Her husband was a prophet. She knew that she was obeying the Lord. Let's read on. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after another. Soon, every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. When the jars were done, that's when the miracle stopped. Translation, God provided the perfect amount. And I love that. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, now sell the olive oil and pay your debts and you and your sons can live on what is left over. God not only provided what she needed to pay off her debts, but some to live with at the end of that miracle as well. And that's what God does with our lives too. This family's lack made room for God's supply. So what are you lacking in your life? What are you lacking in your life? What area in your life has lack? Because whatever it is, think, how can God turn this around? How can God fill my lack? Especially if it's a family need, a marital need, a parenting need, a financial need, whatever. God cares about your family just like he did this widow's. That leads us to number one. So if you're taking notes this weekend, you can write this down for number one. God desires to strengthen my family. God desires to strengthen my family. <clears throat> God can turn our struggle into opportunity. He can turn our debt into his downpour. The areas of my life where there is lack and where there is emptiness, God is able to meet our needs. Paul described times, the apostle Paul, if you read in some of his teachings, he described times when he had plenty. 
And he also described times and talked about times where there was severe lack. And God taught him about his ability to supply what he needed. He wrote this in the letter to the church in Philippi. I love this. Chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts that you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now all glory to God, our Father, forever and ever. Amen. I love how the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes that the same God who provided for his needs is the same God who can provide for ours. Think about it. Elisha, when this woman, when this widow come up to him, Elisha could have said, good, let those boys go to work. Let them pay off your debt. That's what kids are for, right? But he didn't. That's not what happened. And why? It's because Paul knew that what would happen to this widow, he knew what would happen to her sons. You see, God provided more than just some oil. God relieved stress in this family. He made their home into a refuge for them to grieve their husband, to grieve their father together as a family unit, and to begin their healing. Psalm 34, 18 says this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. If you're in here this morning and you have a broken heart, God is close to you. If you're in here this morning and you feel like that your spirit has been absolutely crushed, God is ready to rescue you. Have you ever been crushed? Have you ever been squeezed in your life? Has your family ever needed a rescue? God wants you to be reminded that he is closer to you in those moments than you actually realize. When it feels feels like God is so distant that he doesn't hear your prayers, he's actually right beside you. It just feels distant. We need to know that in Christ there is no lack. He has more than enough olive oil. He has more than enough food for us. He has more than enough clothes. He has more than enough finances, more than enough peace and forgiveness and strength, more than anything we'll ever need. You see, our lack makes room for his supply. Isn't that great? We can look at areas in our life where we are lacking and know that God has the ability to fill in the gaps, that God has the ability to provide everything in our life that we are lacking. So now let's jump down to verse 38 and read about miracle number two. It says this, Elisha now returned to Gilgal and there was a famine in the land. This is the second miracle in chapter four. Now Gilgal is about a 20 minute drive. If you ever make it over to Jerusalem, if you ever make it over to Israel, it's about a 20 minute drive from Jerusalem. And it's where the Hebrew people actually cross the Jordan on dry ground. It's where they put the 12 stones to talk about God, to remember God's faithfulness back in the book of Joshua chapter four. So famine had hit this part of the land really, really hard and there wasn't enough food to go around for everyone. They're in a crisis and people were hungry. And it's in the middle of this that we get a glimpse into the life of the prophets at the time. You see, Elisha was there, but there were many other prophets as well. And they're all together. And it says this, one day as the group of prophets was seated before him, talking about Elisha, he said to his servant, put a large pot on the fire and make some stew for the rest of the group. 
Now they're probably thinking, with what? You want us just to boil water? (laughs) But remember, Elisha was a big name in the community. He was the leader of the prophets, having been the apprentice of Elijah, his predecessor. And some of these other prophets were most likely learning from him. And they had, they had to be impacted by the famine as well. So Elisha tells them to start boiling some water. But we all know that it takes more than just boiled water for stew, right? And these are some hungry prophets. And so it says this, one of the young men went out to the field to gather herbs and came back with a pocket full of wild gourds. He shredded them and put them into the pot without realizing that they were poisonous. Yikes. This is the group of prophets that you're about to serve. All these poison, this poison stew. Have you ever opened up the fridge and thought, man, I need to make something for dinner. And you're like, you have no idea what you're going to make yet. Really kind of all depends on what you find. I'm actually convinced that this is how goulash was created. I think the Greek word from goulash means, hey, this is what I found in the fridge. So this young, most likely inexperienced prophet goes outside to gather some items to throw in the pot for this stew. He went for herbs, but he came back with some poisonous gourds stuffed in his pockets. That's an easy mistake to make, right? Come on. Because if you look closely at a date tree orchard in the nation of Israel, you'll discover another plant that grows among them. These poisonous gourds called the Centrulus colosynthus often commonly called the bitter cucumber, and it is poisonous. This young prophet grabbed what looked appetizing but was actually deadly, looked safe on the outside, deadly on the inside. That's a whole other message that we'll wait for another time, right? Inexperience can sometimes be deadly. Evil loves to disguise itself as something good, all the way back to Adam and Eve. So he started shredding the gourds, threw them in the pot, not realizing his mistake. I'll bet he was even excited to find the gourds, probably proud of himself for finding something that he could contribute to this group of prophets during a famine. So he Gordon Ramsayed up something real quick, kind of threw it in there. The verse says this, some of the stew was served to the men, but after they had eaten a bite or two, they cried out, man of God, there's poison in this stew so they would not eat it. The bitter taste from this gourd had to be pretty bad for all of them to taste it in concert. But imagine being that prophet, going out to find herbs, finding some gourds, stuff them in your pocket, brought them back, shredded it, put it into the pot, cooked it up, served it to your peers, thinking that you're doing a good thing. How is he supposed to know they're poisonous? How bad would you feel? I guarantee you he didn't keep this recipe. This is, a really, this is really adding insult to injury. There's a famine in the land. You're with a group of hungry prophets and the only food in the house will kill you. So what do you think this young man was thinking? How does he recover from this? Was he cowering in the corner? What will Elijah, Elisha do? What will God do? And then Elisha says this, bring me some flour Then he threw it in the pot and said, now it's all right. Go ahead and eat. Now, if you were these prophets, you would have thought that Elisha was asking for flour for something else. Surely this 
stew needs something more than just thickening with some flour, right? But he threw it in the pot and declared, see, the stew's okay now. Dig in, it's fine. Now, even though if I were on the scene, even though it's the great Elisha, if I were there, I still think I would have said, Tito, you go first. Now, I got to preach on Sunday. I can't be eating the, any poisonous stew. You know, he would do it. And then the verse says, and then it did not harm them. That leads us to point number two, if you're taking notes. God desires to feed my connections. He desires to feed my connections. The young prophet showed his weakness, his inexperience, and what could have ended in disaster ended in a miracle. God's power showed up in the middle of his weakness and turned things around. And when you think about your own insecurities, when you think about your own challenges, when you think about your own struggles, what are some of those things that's really thrown you for a loop? Paul shared about a time in his life when he felt weak. We already talked about a time when he felt like he had more than enough. And he also writes about a time when he felt weak. And it says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Now, we don't even know what that is. We don't know what it is. But we know that three different times Paul begged God, begged him, God, please take this away from me. And each time God said, no, my grace, Paul, is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now Paul says, I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and the hardships and the persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, he is strong. Paul was just like us. We're constantly asking God to take us through challenges quickly, to take us through our struggles and conflicts quickly. He asked God to take away a struggle, but God said to Paul that his weakness was the perfect display for God's power. So how can God work through me and my weaknesses to show his power? The same way. By turning my conflict, by turning my struggles, by turning, turning all the challenges that I face, by turning them into little miracles. So for miracle number three, let's look, see at another example about how God handles our doubts. Same chapter. Let's continue re reading. One day a man from Baal Shalisha, say that 10 times, brought the man of God a sack of fresh grain. It's still Elisha. And so here comes this man walking up to Elisha and gives him fresh grain, a sack of fresh grain, and 20 loaves of barley bread made from what? The first grain of his harvest. Goes all the way back to the, the principle of giving, giving God our first fruits. So he brings Elisha his first fruits. fruits. And this little, this little town that I'm not going to try to say again was uh, not too far from Gilgal. And here's this man bringing bread and grain to Elisha. And it's his offering for the Lord. But when he brings his offering up to Elisha for the Lord, for the temple, Elisha looks over and sees these this group of 100 hungry people. And then he was led by God to use this man's offering to feed the people. And listen to what the servant says to this idea. Elisha said, hey, thank you, but give it to the people so they can eat. What? His servant exclaimed. Feed a hundred people with only this? 
Now, last week I spoke about the time when Jesus fed thousands of people with some fish and some bread. And I know you're thinking, a hundred isn't really as impressive as feeding thousands, and I get that. But that's Jesus, all right? His miracles are always bigger and better, right? The point is this. God is bigger than our doubts. And an offering from one can bless many. I want to say that again. An offering from one can bless many. God does more with our, offer, with our offering than you and I ever could. I talk to a lot of people. They say, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on the cusp of this giving thing with, uh, with, uh, with, with my faith family. I'm not there yet because I take all my giving and I put it to all these different organizations. Amazing. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to take care of widows and orphans. That's actually a commandment for us to do. But there's something in there that says, I'm going to bring my gift. I'm going to bring my offering to the Lord and allow the Lord to do with what he wants. And in this case, it was to feed these people because God can do more than what we can. Does the servant's reaction sound familiar to many of us? It probably should because I know a lot of us have said, well, what can my little amount do? And God says, don't worry about that. You just give it to me and let me deal with the amount. Watch what God does, 2 Kings chapter 4. But Elisha repeated, give it to the people so they can eat, for this is what the Lord says. Everyone will eat and there will be enough. There will, be, there will even be some left over again, meeting the need and some left over. And when they gave it to the people, there was plenty for all and some left over, just as the Lord had promised. This is similar to... This is somewhat similar to, to, to the woman with her olive oil. But in this story, Elisha's servant voices his concerns. What he didn't know was that God was making something out of nothing. That takes us to our last fill-in fill in for the weekend. It says this, God desires to empower my mission. God desires to empower my mission. Now I know ultimately we're talking about God's mission. It's not our mission, it's God's mission. But he has given each one of us a mission. And he desires to empower that. There's a scene going on in, in the, the, the gospel of Matthew chapter 8 when Jesus' apprentices were filled with doubt as their boat began filling with water in the middle of a storm. And where was Jesus? Sleeping in the back. Not worried. They wake him, picturing their own funerals and questioning his love for them. But did any of that stop Jesus from going way beyond their expectations? No. And the answer can be found in the wise words from Job. Job chapter 36 says this, Look, God is greater than we can understand. His years cannot be counted. He draws up the water vapor and then distills it into rain. The rain pours down from the clouds and everyone benefits. Who can understand the spreading of the clouds and the thunder that rolls forth from heaven? See, how he spreads the lightning around him and how it lights up the depths of the seas. By these mighty acts, he nourishes the people, giving them food in abundance. Just when we think that there's no way that there's going to be enough, God opens up the miraculous. We wrestle with doubts. It's okay. We wrestle with our weaknesses and our insecurities. Totally fine. We wrestle with our own lack, and that's okay too. But God has more than enough, and his power shows up 
when we least expect it. But also there's that layer of trust and obedience in it too. Remember, the miracle happens most of the time after we obey. So listen, if you're facing the downhill road towards what looks like the end of the line, whatever that may be for you, remember these three miracles. No matter how bleak it looks, no matter how tense the conflict is between you and someone else, no matter what keeps you up at night, no matter what wakes you up in the middle of the night, no matter what you're thinking about when you wake up in the morning, know that God is right there beside you and know that he has more than enough. Know that he can supply whatever your need is and go beyond your expectations. Keep your head up, watch for his supply, embrace his strength and his abundance and wait for it, expect his abundance to show up and it won't be too early. It won't be too late. It'll be on his time. And his time is perfect. God is perfect. God's will is always good. It may look different than what we expect. Because a lot of times I feel like when we pray, we give God options, right? God, let it be like this or like this. And God said, do you trust me or not? It may look like that, but it may look like this. And this is better. But because we can't see, we, we, we compare the known with the unknown, don't we? And because we can't see what God sees, we don't know what God knows. And we think we're helping God by telling him, God, this is when you should do it. This is really what I need and when and how and where instead of just coming to God with our hands open and say, I don't know how to fix this, but I'm surrendering this to you. Just like the widow, when she come up to the man of God and said, look, my husband served you. He feared the Lord. He loved God. I don't know what else to do. So give me something. Give me some obedience. Give me, give me something that I can obey. And if we come to God with that kind of heart saying, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know how to fix this. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I feel like God's saying to us, just trust me. Give it to me and walk away. Let me work it out because my way is always best. And you'll have some left over. You'll have more peace, more joy, more forgiveness, more love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your words. Thank you, Lord, as we transition from this time into a time of remembering what you did on the cross, Lord. You'll just speak to each one of us, Lord, in a very personal way. You're the God of everything, but you're also the God of individuality. And so I pray right now that whatever we're thinking about, whatever's going through our spirit, whatever's going through our heart, whatever's going through our mind, Lord, you'll just calm us this morning, everyone in this room. Father, let us connect with you in a way that we've never connected before. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for being with us as we sit in your presence, 
I pray that you'll work out everything for the good of those who love you and called according to your purpose. Lord, remind us. Remind us of those things that just keep our minds hostage, that keep our thoughts hostage, that keep our hearts hostage. To release that to you. That we can distance ourselves from this yoke, Lord, that has burdened us down and with concern and anxiety and worry and fear, Father, that we can drop that yoke and walk in freedom of who you created us to be. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and take those elements. Being peeling that top layer off there for the for the wafer. If you didn't get an uh, element and you want to just slip your hand up real quick, we have ushers that will come by and hand you one of those. A couple of hands. Raise them really high so that she can see you. There you go. Thank you. We have some up here too, Miss Marianne. while we're doing that, one of the, there's a scripture that talks about before we take the elements that make sure that our hearts are, are, are good, make sure that there's nothing between us and God. And so why don't we do that just for the next 30 seconds while people are preparing their elements to just sit in silence. And if there's anything in your life that you think, you know what, I need to take care of this between God and I, before I take communion, before I participate and his body and his blood. I need to clear this between he and I. So why don't we just take about 30 seconds in silence. Jesus, I recognize this morning on this day, August the 7th of 2022, that you are indeed the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. You are Jehovah, you are Yahweh, you are Yeshua, the Elohim. You are our God and we serve you. Thank you for what you did on the cross all those years ago. And today we participate in remembering what you did. Take your wafer. Lord, thank you for allowing your body to be broken for our sin as the perfect sacrifice for all of our wrongdoings. In Jesus' name, let's eat. Jesus, this juice is a symbol of the blood that shed for us that made us white as snow. Father, we accept that your spilled blood paid the penalty 
for our sin, a debt that we could never pay. You paid for us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Let's drink. One last time, Father, we love you. We celebrate you. We know that good things are planned for this campus and for everyone in it. Now, Father, I bless everyone here in the name of Jesus as we go our separate ways. Keep us safe. Watch over us. Protect us, Lord. Father, I pray that you will give us an opportunity to share you with someone this week. And Father, when that opportunity comes, you'll just nudge us a little bit and remind us and let us know this is our chance to share the good news of Jesus. Thank you. Father, we surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for being here this morning. Uh, Don't forget all the announcements that were made. Uh, If you have any questions about what's going on around here, make sure you keep up to date with our app and with our uh, on the website. Hey, if you're new here, please don't leave without getting the gift that we have for you. And if you came here prepared to give, we have three different ways you can do that. So make sure you take advantage of that. But we want to say be blessed. Have a great week. We'll see you back next Sunday.